are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So tonight we are observing the Feast of All Saints, which on the calendar is actually tomorrow, November 1st. But there is a church tradition that says that once the sun goes down, you rightly move into the next day on the church calendar. So while much of the city is marking Halloween tonight, All Hallows' Eve or All Saints' Eve, we're already in gear for November 1st. Now, All Saints is an ancient feast on the Christian calendar. The earliest mention of such a day comes in the 300s, and it landed in the Western Church on its current date sometime in the 700s. It's a day that's meant to celebrate all of the Christian saints. Now, that includes the big league well-known biblical figures, St. Peter, St. Paul, as well as some names that are not so familiar to us, but they were well-known in their day. So people like Polycarp, Irenaeus, and Justin Martyr, On top of that, though, was a tradition of honoring and celebrating the unknown saints. Those who'd gone about their lives in faithful ways, perhaps quietly enduring the persecutions of the first three centuries, and simply living the faith. Oh, and living it rather imperfectly, I'd have to say. For which human person is ever close to perfection? Who doesn't stumble, wrestle with doubts or dry spells, or sometimes just default into self-centered thinking? There is a book that I should have brought tonight to show you. It's written by an Englishman named Richard Coles. Now, Richard Coles in the 1980s was a pop star. He played in a band called the Communards, which was a follow-up band to a a band called the Bronsky Beat. For some of you, that'll ring a bell. For lots, you'll just, uh, doesn't matter. Pretty big news, particularly in England. And then when that band came to its end, the Communards, he was rich and set and worried about nothing and within a decade was finding his way into churches. Didn't really understand why. And it wasn't all that long after that he thought he had to explore ordination. He is now a priest in a relatively small community in England. And he continues to host a BBC show. And he's written this lovely book of improbable saints. It's about this thick. There's probably 200 of them. A page, a saint. They are all difficult, odd, weird, cranky. And yet somehow saints, because it's not an act of my will, it's an act of grace. In Christ and through Christ, they can still be remembered as our saints in all of their failings and foibles. Now, our readings tonight for the Feast of All Saints both deal with matters of life and death, though in quite different ways. 
In the passage from Isaiah, we heard of a promised day when, quote, God will swallow up death forever and, quote, wipe away the tears from all faces, which is a bold proclamation that death and all the tears and grief and sorrow that accompanies it will not have the final word. And then we heard the story of the raising of Lazarus from the Gospel according to John, which stands as something of an enacted parable of death's defeat. Lazarus, come out, cries Jesus. And quote, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Yet even at that, the story from John isn't without some notable textures. When the story first begins, quite a ways before Murray started to read tonight, Jesus receives the word that Lazarus is gravely ill. But he delays things for a bit, saying, This illness does not lead to death. That in fact, the man is ill in order that, quote, the Son of God may be glorified through it. So what? He's going to delay a couple days and still get there and heal Lazarus? No. Because when he arrives, he gets news that Lazarus has in fact died. And he's confronted by some pretty profound unhappiness on the part of Mary and Martha, the dead man's sisters. John even says that Jesus was, quote, greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved, so much so that he wept over the death of his friend. So in some sense, it's really quite difficult to know what he was expecting when he arrived. Yet, as Robert Ferrer Capon once quipped, Jesus never met a corpse that didn't sit up right then and there. And so, dear old Lazarus is freed from death, at least for a time. Interesting question, though, is why the lectionary takes us into this talk of death on this particular feast day. Well, it's because what All Saints' Day really marks is what the Apostles' Creed calls the communion of saints. We believe in the communion of saints we will proclaim together when this sermon is done, which is to say that we believe that this thing called the body of Christ is much bigger than the conventional dividing lines between life and death. We may no longer see those who have died, whether that's Lazarus or Peter or Polycarp or your favorite great uncle, but we live in a very real and spiritual union with them as members of Christ's body. As I've already tried to indicate, that includes not only the big league stained glass uppercase S saints whose lives and witness are well known, if sometimes a little glossy, but also those who you might call the ordinary saints, including those whose names have long been forgotten. And in the strange economy of the communion of saints, 
The uppercase and the lowercase shall all sit down side by side to feast at the same table. There's a remarkable leveling of the playing field in this, which means that for all that St. Paul say or St. Augustine or any other uppercase S saint, whoever it might be, have done, there's only one feasting table in the end. And your grandma is going to be cozily seated right between Paul and Augustine, happily chattering away to them about some of the things that they maybe didn't get entirely right. Now, St. Paul uses the word saint. He means those who are simply members of the church community. That's who the saints are. Most of the saints Paul writes of were very much alive, though some at least had died. Paul uses the term, they have fallen asleep, not as a way of denying death, but as a way of saying that death will not have the last word. The Greek word we translate as saint is hagios, which means literally holy one. Though anyone who has read Paul's epistles will know that the holiness of the people in those churches was based pretty much entirely on their having been recipients of grace. On their own steam, those holy ones could make rather a mess of things. Paul himself is no exception. If you read the book of Acts, you come across this story where he and his companion Barnabas, who have traveled together, been in ministry together, they have a pretty sharp disagreement about whether or not they should give young John Mark a second chance because John Mark had failed a first time. And in the end, Paul and Barnabas end up parting ways. They go in different mission directions. Now in that dispute, Paul is the one who comes out as the harsher, less compromising, and even unforgiving man, while Barnabas is clearly more gracious. I actually rather like the fact that our biblical books don't shy away from letting the reader see a less than idealized picture of the so-called heroes of the faith. Because not one of us could ever live up to idealization. We can't. And yet Paul, Barnabas, and young John Mark are in fact numbered among the saints, the holy ones, the hagios, in spite of the unholiness of some parts of their lives. It is sheer grace. It's from these saints, the ones named holy despite all their failings, that we have inherited the faith in which we walk, this great and deep tradition. That word tradition sometimes gets a really bad rap, as in, oh, that's just a tradition. And truthfully, sometimes people and churches do get trapped in their own traditions. There's this old joke about Anglicans, for instance, that goes, how many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, 
five. One to change the bulb and the other four to stand around talking about how much better they like the old one. Now here I'm quite taken by the insight of the theologian Yaroslav Pelikan. Yaroslav Pelikan, who wrote that, quote, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. I'm sure you can see the difference he's pointing to. Pelican then continues, quote, I suppose that I should add, it is traditionalism that gives tradition such a bad name. And I think that's very true. It is a living faith that it has been traditioned to us by the saints, both the living and the dead. To remember those who've gone before us is to remember those who have traditioned us, given us the story. And in the strange economy of God, we will surely be wonderfully surprised by who is seated round that banqueting table that is imaged in the closing chapters of the book of Revelation. Oh, sure, there will be the predictable saints, but there will be countless others as well, some of whom we will be frankly a bit shocked to see. You? I didn't think you went to church for the last 30 years of your life. What are you doing here? And you? Weren't you that guy who drank too much and then asked for change at the corner? Oh my goodness, you're at the table at this feast? Didn't you take off with the inheritance from Dad before he'd even died? Blow it all in the course of a few months and then come back home to Dad looking for forgiveness? If Dad takes you back and sits you at this table, I'm not sure I really want to be here. Which is precisely the point. Both of that famous parable of the prodigal son and of the wideness of God's mercy. I have no business looking down my nose at the returning prodigal son. And in the end, I have no business trying to decide who will sit down at that heavenly banquet. What I need, what we all need, is a willingness to sit down, raise a glass, and drink to the wideness of God's mercy. Full stop. Tonight, next week, next year, and in the fullness of time, that's what this day of all saints invites us to do. We raise a glass together to the divine mercy, and we leave the rest to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Now, this is one of the times in the year that we will stand and proclaim together the creed. It is the Apostles' Creed tonight printed in your leaflet. As we do that, our voices are joined with all of those who have walked before us. Whether they ever spoke this creed or just believed and followed Jesus, we are with them. So I invite you to stand. 
Together we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.